Happy Friday. Good to be with you. Good to see you guys. Um, thank you to the worship band. Who is playing piano? Cut that girl loose. She's amazing. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right, so uh, we're here for the final chapel talk in uh, this week on looking at Francis Schaeffer. Today, I wanted to look at one last uh, other little thing that Schaeffer wrote. 1970, Schaeffer wrote this tiny, tiny little book. Uh, it's called The Mark of the Christian. Uh, and today, I want to uh, talk about that. Uh, in this book, Schaeffer is attempting to answer the question of, what is the distinguishing thing or mark that sets Christians apart, makes them recognizably Christian in the world? And he notes that throughout history, Christians have had distinctive haircuts and distinctive jewelry and all kinds of particular things that they did, places they lived, all kinds of different things. Uh, but Schaefer says the biblical answer to this question of what distinguishes, the, what's the mark of the Christian? Is love. And according to Jesus, what it meant was to make us recognizable as his disciples is our love. First for one another, uh, and then for the world. Savior puts it this way, all men are our neighbors and we are to love them as ourselves. We are to do this on the basis of the creation even if they are not redeemed, for all men have value because they are made in the image of God, and therefore they are to be loved even at great cost to ourselves. Schaefer also notes that very often the true Bible-believing Christian in his emphasis on two humanities and an antithesis between those who are lost and ones saved, uh, those who are standing still in rebellion against God, and the other having returned to God, that has given us a picture of exclusiveness, which in Schaefer's terms is ugly. The exclusiveness of the two humanities, Schaefer says, is undergirded by the unity of all men and all of humanity. And Christians are not to love their, not only to love their believing brothers, and not to do this in exclusion of their non-believing neighbors. Uh, this little book by Schaefer is really a meditation on one particular text of Jesus' words in John 13, uh, when he gives, and this is really the center of John's gospel in a lot of ways, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Schaefer says that this can, we can have two different responses to Jesus' words and command here. One is shallow and superficial, and the other is deep and meaningful and challenging. He puts it this way. Now, immediately when we see this, we can either two, one of two things can happen. We can say, and you're going to hear Schaefer's deep sarcasm here, I see, I see, we can make a little flag and write on it, we love all Christians. You can see us trudging along with little flags rolled up, we love all Christians. And at the appropriate time, we take off the rubber bands and unzip the flag and put it up. And we can 
wave it and carry it. We love all Christians. Classic Schaefer, how ugly. It can be either this exceedingly ugly thing, as ugly as anything anyone could imagine, or it can be something as profound as anyone could imagine. I'm not going to get through this talk without crying, so just so you know. Um, and if it's to be the latter, it will take a great deal of time, a great deal of conscious talking and writing about it, a great deal of thinking and praying about it on the part of Bible-believing Christians. The church is to be a loving church in a dying culture. Then Schaefer's going to pull this radical move. Uh, and he's going to kind of flip the script on our understanding of the church, especially in its relationship to our neighbors and non-Christian culture. He says this, Jesus says, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the midst of the world and in the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of whether or not we love one another. And he says, that's pretty frightening. Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you on the basis of my authority to give you the right that you may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love that he shows to all Christians. In other words, if people come up to us and cast in our teeth the judgment that we are not Christians because we have not shown love towards other Christians, we must understand that they are only exercising a prerogative which Jesus gave them. And we must not get angry. If people say, you don't love other Christians, we have to go home and get down on our knees and ask God whether or not they're right. And if they are, then we have the right to, they have the right to say what they said to us. Uh, this is something that Schaefer, in his work, ends up referring to often as what he calls the final apologetic. Uh, a little later in John's Gospel, in chapter 17, we find Jesus' prayer for the church, which is often referred to as his high priestly prayer, uh, that they may be one as, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Shaver admits that this verse has always made him cringe, a little sick inside, because of the personal and corporate failures of the church to be one and to be together in love. Schaefer also sees in this verse this thing he calls the final apologetic. Jesus ties the call of the church to be one with the efficacy of its message about Jesus. Oneness is the proof of the gospel, and its lack is its falsification. This is the final apologetic in his language. As Schaefer says, John 13, the point was that if an individual Christian doesn't show love towards other Christians, the world has a right to judge that he's not a Christian. Here, Jesus is stating something else, which is far more cutting and far more profound. 
we cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son and that Jesus' claims are true and that Christianity is true unless the world sees some kind of reality of the oneness of true Christians. Schaefer, as always, offers practical ways in which the principles of love and oneness can be made visible in concrete forms. The, he says this, the observable and practical love among true Christians that the world has a right to be able to observe in our day certainly should cut without reservation across such lines as language, nationalities, national frontiers, young and old, color of skin, levels of education and economics, accent, line of birth, class system in any particular locality, dress, etc. If the world doesn't see this, it will not believe that Christ was sent by the Father. The world must have the proper answers to their honest questions, but at the same time, there must be a oneness in love between all true Christians. That is what is needed if men are to know that Jesus sent, was sent by the Father and that Christianity is true. Now, Schaefer recognizes that this type of love and unity is, to say the least, not easy to bring about. Uh, if we take seriously this call, it will need hard work on behalf of generations of Christians. But that transformative work begins in the simple tasks of repentance and forgiveness. As he says, what then does this mean, this love mean? How is it made visible? First, it means a very simple thing. It means when I have made a mistake and when I have failed to love my Christian brother, I go to him and say, I am sorry. This is first. It may seem like a letdown that the first thing we should speak about is so simple. But if you think it's easy, you've never tried to do it. So I'm not willing to say I'm sorry when I have wronged somebody else, especially when I have not loved him. I've not even started to think about the meaning of a Christian oneness, which the world can see. The world has a right to question whether I'm a Christian. And more than that, let me say it again, this is all Schaefer's talk, if I'm not willing to do this very simple thing, the world has a right to question whether Jesus was sent by God and whether Christianity is true. The truth of the gospel, the love of God, is not only a truth we accept and believe, it is a truth that we are called to proclaim and live. We learn to believe by living it. That begins in the place of going to someone who has, we have wronged, and to own and name our failure with them. Now the other side of learning to repent is also learning to forgive. And I'm not really sure which one is harder. Schaefer again brings us back to the gracious call of Jesus. We must all continually acknowledge that we do not practice a forgiving heart as we should. And yet the prayer that Jesus teaches us is forgive us our debts and our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive others. Schaefer says this means we have to have a forgiving spirit. This is challenging. Even before the other person expresses regret or he's wrong. The Lord's Prayer doesn't suggest that when the other person is sorry, 
then we are to show oneness by having a forgiving spirit. Rather, we are called upon to have a forgiving spirit without the other man having made the first step. We still say that he's wrong, but in the midst of saying he's wrong, we have to be forgiving. This is the gift and call of Jesus to us, uniting us to himself through his forgiving love. And the same call and the same love calls us to embrace forgiveness through forgiving others who have wronged us, sometimes deeply wronged us. This is not an optional bonus level in the Christian life. This is the Christian life. I wish somebody told me that when I was your age. Uh, I had to learn it for myself. Uh, and it wasn't long ago. <laughs> so, this all sounds uh, nice and pretty and a nice idea. Um, how do we actually live this out? Especially in the context when Christians have strong disagreements over really important issues. Schaefer offers some practical, theologically grounded guidance rails for the church. He says this, in John 13 and 17, these two texts he's been talking about, Jesus talks about a real, observable oneness, a practical oneness, a practical oneness across all lines among all true Christians. And the Christian, in this context, has a double task. He has to practice both God's holiness and God's love. Christian is to exhibit that God exists in the infinite personal God and that he is to exhibit simultaneously God's character of holiness and love, not his holiness without his love, which is harshness and judgment. Not his love without his holiness, that is only compromise. Anything that an individual Christian or Christian group does that fails to show the simultaneous balance of the holiness of God and the love of God presents to a watching world not a demonstration of the God who exists, but a character of God who exists. Schaefer sees love and holiness of God as the measure and guide for our calling as Christians in the context, especially of conflict. It is very, very easy to fall off on one side or the other. Schaefer himself came, I've mentioned this before, from a background where the denomination, the, excuse me, the demonstration of the love of God was routinely sacrificed in the name of doctrinal purity. This is part of our own heritage in our denomination, in the PCA. Uh, it wasn't uncommon in the early days of the PCA to hear the slogan, truth before friends. used as a justification to act viciously towards a perceived enemy of the truth. What Schaefer reminds us is that this is not only ugly, but blasphemous, <clears throat> a dishonoring of God's glory and turning away from the call of Christ. Schaefer recounts <clears throat> excuse me, from his own experience, the kind of damage this caused, says this, I've observed one thing among true Christians in their differences in many, many countries. 
what divides and severs true Christian groups and Christians, what leaves a bitterness that can last for 20, 30, or 40 years, or for 50 or 60 years in a son's memory, is not the issue or doctrine or belief which caused the difference in the first place. Invariably, it's the lack of love and the bitter things that are said by true Christians in the midst of difference. These stick in the mind like glue. And the world looks and shrugs its shoulders and turns away. It's not even seen the beginning of a living church in the midst of a dying culture. It's not seen the beginning of what Jesus indicates as the final apologetic, observable oneness among true Christians who are truly brothers in Christ. At the same time, Schaefer believes that it's precisely in the moment of conflict that the church has the greatest opportunity to embody the holiness and love of God. And as he argues, we have a greater possibility of showing that Jesus is speaking about here in the midst of our differences than we do when we're not differing. Obviously, we shouldn't go around looking for differences among Christians. There's plenty without looking for more. Uh, but even so, it's in the midst of a difference that we, ought, we have our golden opportunity. When everything is going well, we're all standing around a nice little circle. There's not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference and we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time, observable love, then there's something that the world can see, something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus really did come from the Father. He continues, not all differences among Christians are equal. There are some that are very minor, others are overwhelmingly important. The more serious the wrongness is, the more important it is to exhibit the holiness of God and to speak out against what's wrong. At the same time, the more serious the difference becomes, the more important it is to become that we look to the Holy Spirit to enable us to show love to the true Christians with whom we differ. It's only a minor difference. Showing love does not take much conscious consideration, but where the difference becomes really important becomes proportionally more important. To speak for God's holiness, it becomes increasingly important in that place to show the world that we still love each other. Ultimately, Schaefer's point is that there is only one mark that exists to identify the church as the people of God. The ability to demonstrate real love that means sacrifice that crosses over social political racial theological divides but to do so in a way that preserves both the holiness of god and the love of god he's a realist and recognizes this is only this will only take place through deep reflection and prayer and repentance and sacrifice it won't happen through casual commitment to some vague idea of oneness. It is a high coughing, calling that often feels impossible, but we cannot shy away from it. We begin moving toward it in simple but challenging practices of repentance and forgiveness with one another. Maybe your generation 
will be the one to lead our institutions into this kind of renewal. I'd love to see that. Let me let Schaefer uh, conclude our time here. He says this, I want to say with all of my heart that as we struggle for the proper preaching of the gospel in the midst of the 20th century and for us the 21st, the importance of observable love must come into our message. We must not forget the final apologetic. The world has a right to look upon us as us, we, as true Christians, come to practical differences, and it should be able to observe that we do love each other. And our must let have a form, it must have a form, that the world may observe and see and recognize. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the beauty of this day and for the coming of fall and for your presence with us in your grace and your love. We give you thanks for your gifts to us, for your love for us, and we pray for your Spirit's work to move in us and to reshape us in and around and by that love with which you have embraced us, and to turn to one another in acts of care and sacrifice and sometimes repentance and forgiveness, and to learn these disciplines as a central element in our lives and in our pursuit of you. And we thank you that this is all of your work in our midst to your glory. Amen.